Welcome to the True Face Podcast, where we'll have conversations about what we can learn from what's going on in our lives. My name's Robbie Engel, and I will be your guide as we learn how to increase trust and experience grace. Let's jump into this week's conversation. This is a friend that is going to be really fun to introduce, partly because I've wanted to be like him for the past seven or eight years. Um, I feel like he's like the the epitome of masculinity. He's like the model of masculinity. You know, when we think of like the ideal man, like the most interesting man in the world, like who comes to your head? Doug, you have been that for me the past seven or eight years or however long we've been friends. Uh, so it's pretty honoring to look at your beautiful, masculine face uh, and welcome you to the podcast. How you doing, man? Man, that was like the coolest, <laughs> most humbling and, and head blowing up intro I've ever had. That's so small world, Doug is actually now doing, uh, he is in the role that I was at, at North Point. He is the director of men's groups at North Point Community Church. So it's like the one, uh, it's like, I feel almost like good about myself that I, like there's this element of our lives that is same because I've never felt that with you in my life. I'll get, I'll, I'll blow up your head a little bit more. Here, here's some context about Doug Hurley, y'all. Uh, first of all, he's a beautiful man. Um, he's got three little kids. He, he, uh, was a fighter pilot. No, not a fire pilot. He was a special forces helicopter pilot. Which, which branch of the military? Army. Yeah. Army, like elite special forces guy, super sketchy, amazing stories, uh, that Doug can share. And I might try to get one out of them on this podcast. Then Doug, uh, had reached the top of that game and ended up going into the corporate world and, accelerating the corporate ladder pretty quickly with successes there and then shifted from there into pursuing his passion of workplace ministry and ministering to men and women and in the marketplace. And so he's done that at North Point and then uh, is also as directing the men's uh, ministry at North Point. And so this guy's story and life has just been uh, faithful um, bold and intentional. Um, and on our last podcast, when I, we were talking about, uh, when we were talking about your adventures, flying helicopters, Doug, you, you were like, yeah, you know, you know, I did some time wiggling the sticks and I was like, what, who, who talks like that? And who is that? And a fun fact about you, Doug, that most people might not know is you officially have crashed more helicopters than anybody else I know. That's yeah. That's a unique hat to wear. So congratulations. I've never yeah, met anybody that's crashed more helicopters. I don't think anybody, any aviator or pilot really wants that record, but I'm glad <laughs> that you feel cool that you know a person that has crashed more helicopters and, um, than anybody else. So. Oh yeah. So, so give us a little context about the, those days. How long have you been out of the military now? Holly, it's been 15 years now. I got out in 2005. Uh, I was, I did it for 12 years. Um, and I loved what I did, but it just, it got to the point I was gone. I was just gone all the time. It was just tough, tough on our marriage. And, and, and my wife, Janie really wanted me to, to, to punch out, to get out. Mm. Uh, and so I got out for, well, I shouldn't say I got out for her. I got out for us. Yeah. And, um, but I loved it and loved what I did. I wasn't very good at it cause I crashed all those helicopters. <laughs> <laughs> Were you, what'd you fly primarily? Primarily I flew, um, the, the special ops version of the Chinook. Okay. It's called an H-47. So it's the really big one. 
um, with the two main rotor blades, two main rotor systems. It doesn't have the, the tail rotor. Uh, it has the ramp in the back and you can load up. I mean, I've had 75 Rangers, Army Rangers in the back of that thing. Um, Give us a little more did. context. Special Forces, helicopter pilot. We don't know about that world. It, give us a little bit more context about that. Yeah. So, so, so um, usually when people say Special Forces, that's, that's, that's talking about U.S. Army Special Forces Green Berets, like the Green Beret, Green Beret teams. That would be one special operations component that okay. falls in the special operations umbrella. And under that, you would have Army Rangers. You would have um, Delta. You would have um, Marine Force Recon. You would have Air Force STS. You would have um, SEALs, Navy SEALs. Yep. Um, I think I said Rangers. And then you would have my unit, which was the 160th, which is the special operations helicopter aviation component that would do the missions with all the, all the ground guys, all the operators. Yep. So, so when you're hearing about like Osama, that special helicopter thing that kind of crashed in landing and then kind of uh, all that, what's going through your head as you're watching that? Cause, cause I, I'm assuming you flew missions off the books like that. Yeah. I was so glad that they, they wrecked the helicopter on, on that assault because the, um, I know those guys. Mm. And that means that somebody was either closer to or surpassing my record of the most accident. <laughs> Cause again, no aviator wants to have that record. So yep. I was rooting for, you know, actually both. Hel- I'm kidding. I don't want any helicopter to crash. <laughs> no, those guys, uh, they did, they did amazing work. And, um, and the that how they handled that mission, even with, uh, not that I have any inside information, just watching it from yep. reading the news and all kind of stuff, but just seeing how they handled that, uh, despite that major contingency yep. of an aircraft going down on target is just amazing. Those both the air crew and the, the ground guys just did such an awesome job. So I was in Pakistan in 0506 and I was in Abbottabad within a mile of his compound just yep. for like half a day. We had a layover meeting in Abbottabad, which was a hub. Um, you were in the military kind of early, early two thousands flying. Were you over there doing missions? And a real follow-up question is, why didn't you get Osama before? Why did it take so long? Why didn't you do it? Is it because you crashed? I tried seven times and I crashed seven times. So, <laughs> so uh, Osama lasted as long as he did because Doug couldn't get the flying right. Is that right? Why can't why I mean why can't he wiggle the sticks, wiggle the helicopter onto the target? I mean, come on, how hard is it to fly this thing? Were Were you on missions looking for him over there? Yeah, we were. Uh, yeah, so I was over there. You know, right after we got. The, all those units deployed, special ops units deployed um, right after 9-11. We were there, you know, we never left yeah. while I was there. I got out in 2005 out of the service, but it was it was constantly going over there and, and, and being over there. And gosh, I can't tell you how many times that we would fly to the border with the full assault package and right where you were mm. and fly there in orbits waiting for clearance to jump over onto the other side of really? uh, into Pakistan. And, and uh, not that we knew he was there at the time, but there were other high value targets that we could have gone after and um, and just didn't get the clearance. You know, wow. so what happened in what was it, 2012, um, 2012, I think, when they when they did get him and just the presidents and the Joint Chiefs uh, courage and decision making to, to hop across the border yep. and make that happen, I thought was really super gutsy and yep. the right thing. 
That's amazing. We could talk about this uh, a long time, but uh, for, for this, we'll do that offline afterwards. Uh, but uh, thanks for being part of the True Face podcast. You've been a friend of mine and um, we've been doing doing this ministry thing and this True Face thing and trying to understand these truths in our lives for years together. And it's been fun. It's been an honor. Um, so it's fun to have you on here, man, in this new, in this new season of True Face. Uh, so as you know, we bring on a guest just to share a story from their life and we talk about what they learned and the principle they learned in it. Um, so I'd love to hear, we talked a little bit about your story that I've heard, uh, but just for everybody to invite you to share a story of how God's worked in your life. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thank, thanks for having me here. You know, I'm, I'm such a fan of, of yours and the ministry, um, and, um, the board of directors or, or wh- whatever they're calling themselves. But those, I mean, just the, the entire body of work that this organization has done over the last, gosh, years and years now, and the impact it's had at North Point, and you had at North Point when you, when you were there, and still continue to, um, even more churches now, um, not just in Atlanta, but across the country. I, I love it. Uh, you know, so many of the True Face um, products and ministry stuff has changed my life and has just changed the guys that I do ministry with. So. Awesome. Me from them and and me and to to you thank just thank you uh, what an honor to be here so yeah um, I'd love to just share how I we'll go back actually to we'll go back to the Middle East we'll go back to Afghanistan and this was this was May of 2002 and um, I'm deployed there and I was in uh, Kandahar at the time and we had been there for, for months and uh, Chris one of my uh, good friends. Um, him and I were senior leaders in, in, in the unit that we were in. We were flight leads in that unit. And he, um, he was laying in his cot right next to me in the tent. We had a down day, uh, down day, meaning we just weren't doing missions that night, which was very unusual. We were doing missions back to back to back, but, uh, he is reading this book by, uh, John MacArthur. And I had no idea who that was. And he's a theologian, pastor, author, and um, I said, hey, I said, Chris, what are you reading? And he's like, oh, I'm reading this book called Battle for the Beginning. And I'm like, oh, who's it by? He's like, Don MacArthur. I'm like, what's it about? And he gives me a thesis statement. I'm like, is it good? And he's like, yeah. And, um, anyways, Chris was smart enough to know that <laughs> he's like, what, what's going on here? Doug Hurley is the resident atheist and skeptic in this unit. Mm-hmm. And he knows I'm reading a God book. And he keeps asking me questions. He was smart enough to know that I'm smart enough to know that He's, he's reading this God book and that's why I'm asking him these questions. And he, um, he knew he was being invited into a conversation about it. And so in his mind, he's probably doing cheetah flips going, Oh my gosh, the hardcore agnostic atheist is asking me questions, but he was cool as a cucumber. And he, um, he just entertained my questions. And what was so cool about it, uh, a guy who's so quote unquote masculine and, 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 and in a unit like that where everybody is always trying to show machismo and, how cool you are. And I'm not saying that's right, yep. but that's what it is. That's the environment we're in. And all these other officers are in this tent and they're listening in. Um, you know, they're, 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 they're leaning. They're not leaning in, but they're listening. You yeah. know, they're listening. And I'm just peppering Chris with these questions. Well, what about the dinosaurs? And how do you know that Jesus is the only way? And just asking him all these questions. And he just handled it so cool. And, and he's like, Hey, I don't know about that. I don't know if I can really explain the dinosaurs or the age of the earth, um, but I can't explain Jesus. And mm. so we walked through that for about an hour. And then he was smart enough to know, let's get Doug out of the tent and, and go on the other side of the tent um, 
because he know he knows subconsciously even that these guys are listening in and Doug's got to perform and keep his mask on that he's the cool edgy you know gonna argue with you just to win an argument so he pulled me out of the tent which was such a good idea because then that just softened up the conversation so we talked for another hour but all that to say it was pivotal on me in uh, taking steps towards Christ and so it was mm. 18 months later back in Afghanistan again by myself I mean I was with my unit but in a tent by myself uh, December of 2003 when I ended up giving my life to Christ which was just amazing. But Chris was such a catalyst to that. And I, if I had a bottom line, it, it, it was a catalyst. He was a catalyst because of how he handled um, the questions I asked. But as important as the four years prior, he just invested in me as a friend, didn't try to win arguments, didn't judge me, um, didn't push an agenda. He just built a relationship based on trust. Mm. And he was just a real guy, not wearing a whole lot of mask of if any mask, I would say probably none, if that's even possible. Um, but it was that on-ramp for four years to get us to a conversation in Kandahar, Afghanistan, May of 2002, where I'm finally like, okay, there's something different about this guy. I want to know. I really don't trust religion and Christianity. And there's a bunch of yahoos who are trying to tell me it's the right thing, but I don't, I see hypocrisy in their life and I see judgment, you know, coming towards me from them. But Chris, I don't. And mm. so it was something different about him. And, um, man, such a, such a good guy. So it, the conversation was the conversation, but you're saying the, the key differentiator was you've talked to, you had talked to people, you had heard stuff, you knew about this Jesus thing, but it was Chris's life for those four years, uh, that really provided the foundation. What, what, tell me more what that looked like of how God used him just being him, because there's part of us that might be thinking, well, that's passive. He should have evangelized to you sooner uh, or come at you. Yeah, no, I, it's a, it's, it's a great question. So, so, and he did, he didn't, and I'm, you know, I'm crazy about evangelism. I mean, we're good friends, you know, how, how passionate I am about that. Um, and we'll get to that. We, maybe we'll get to that in this podcast or maybe we won't, but for Chris, he wasn't super direct about that um, with, with his words, but here's how he did evangelize. Number one, he was so um, good at what he did. Mm. Like I knew he was a Christ follower and I wouldn't have used those words. I, don't, I think if you're not a Christ follower, you don't use those words. I think it's just Christian or, or religious guy. Oh, I knew he was this religious guy, but um, he was, he was so good at his job. Like he was a great leader. He was brave. He was a warrior. Uh, he, he was a great pilot. He was so good at his job. I had three other guys in that unit and they're good guys. I don't want to sit here and bag on them. But um, they were they were telling me, you need to go to church. Like they were evangelizing with words and pointing their finger at me and you need to go to church. And um, and in my mind, I'm like, and this, I'm I'm so much more mature than I was, you know, 15, 18 years ago, whatever that was. But in my mind, I'm thinking I'm a, a better officer, leader, pilot than you. Uh, my life is pretty good. I don't need that. Mm. And it's very hypocritical for you to tell me that my life is messed up. Yeah. When I don't think you're that good of an officer or you're not as good as I am. Yeah. Um, and that's super arrogant to think, but I thought it back then. But Chris, he wasn't doing any of that. Pointing my, his finger at me, you need to do this. Your life is messed up. I'm judging you. And he was so good at what he did. In other words, let me say it a different way. He lived, he evangelized through his, the example of his life. Mm. Just be a good man, a good officer, uh, a good pilot, a good leader, a warrior, brave, um, congruency when he was with his wife and kids and he was around us, 
where some of the other guys were incongruent. Mm. They'd be around their fam- their families and they'd seem like a great family guy, but then we'd go on the road to visit a SEAL team at Virginia Beach and we're at the bar yeah. and guys are just acting incongruent with their behavior uh, in the bar. And so Chris just lived it by example. And then the other thing is um, I really got to just got come back to that, that j- lack of judgment piece. I can't tell you how amazing it was that I, I never got judged by him because if I'm being totally honest, I try to. Mm. guys would walk into the, I was like the, you know, the crazy single guy in you know, that in my thirties and uh, most of the guys were married guys would walk in on Monday into the hangar and say, Doug, tell us about your weekend. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I did this, 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 and this. And they'd want crazy stories. Chris was sitting right across from me. His desk was right across from mine. And I would be telling the story of the guys that were asking and out of the periphery, I'd be looking at Chris to see his reaction, just even a a grumpy nonverbal look or something never got anything wow if i ever got anything it'd be something like doug you're crazy yeah i mean just no judgment and so that's evangelizing without using direct words it's not that he never mentioned jesus but rarely did he He just didn't do it a lot it was more through example more through loving me caring for me being for me for me not what i could become and um just the lack of judgment and so that was what had so much impact. It's amazing. It's like our father knew the power of how judgment divides and breaks relationships. And in the business of restoring and unity and bringing people together in love as an expression of relationship, he says, do not judge. Uh, and how God used that principle through Chris in your life to teach you that, but also to lay the foundation to be a Christian, another a person you could trust, which studies and research and books have been written that the first most important part of evangelism is do does somebody know a christian that they trust yeah there's uh there's some guys uh if i get the name right don everett and doug shop from university press wrote a book called i once was found um and it's about they did it's a very good there's good empirical data in there but it walks through that whole that whole process or journey of, of being a skeptic and then coming to faith. And there's five thresholds that a skeptic goes through. Um, and the first one is the first and most important one is, do, do you trust a Christian? Mm. Is there a Christian you really trust? So you hit the nail on the head with that, Robbie, you know, saying that the data does support that. And unequivocally, that was my experience. Mm. I, Chris was really the first Christian that I really trusted where there wasn't motives or agenda or something else. Um, and so that trust component is so key, so key. That I'm I'm thinking now, like God, if if I want to be a part of the Great Commission and and, and relational evangelism, where at all costs uh, proclaim the gospel and and only when necessary use words, which I think that was Stott, you know, that John Stott. I don't know who said it, but um, what Chris modeled. I'm I'm thinking out loud with you as a friend, like. What men or women do I have consistency interaction with that might not be Jesus followers that am I that I'm building trust with? Like, do do I have people in my life that see me as a consistent, intentional person who is not judging them, but to build trust and and who's trusting me and who am I trustworthy for? Uh, so that if the spirit stirs in their life, 
that would that I would be a safe place to um, process what they could be missing with, which is what the Spirit stirred in you something that He was that person you trusted with that model of integrity and living aligned with these principles that were so different that you were drawn to. Uh, he didn't need words. I'm just thinking who who in my life uh, right now am I that person I that they trust? It's a great, such a great question. It's such a great question to ask uh, for a couple of reasons. One, going back to the data, you said the word data. The data shows that that there is a huge chunk of Christians in the world who have no relationship with somebody is that's outside the faith. You know, mm-hmm. do we just we we get around the ducks that quack like us and swim like us and look like us and walk like us and um, so if, if if we're immersed in a Christian community like at the church. Most of the people we hang out with and know yep. are going are to be believers. I think it was the last study I saw, it was 45% of Christians don't have anybody in their circle that they are, that are non-believers. And then the other thing with the other point, getting away from the data and getting back to the personal is Chris, if you ask Chris, because um, the way I told the story, you could get the impression that he just was just being a good man and just loving me. And we just stumbled into this conversation four years into a friendship at a tent in, a tent in Afghanistan. Part of that is true. But if you ask Chris, he's like, no, 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 I was intentionally loving this man. Yep. He got into the unit in early 98. He was a, had been in the, an officer and a pilot for a handful of years. He was young. Uh, I looked at Doug and thought, man, this guy could be a, a key leader in the unit. He, and he's, and I want to be his friend and I want to love him. And he doesn't know Christ. I mean, he's thinking about all those things. Yep. And so he was intentional. It's not that he wasn't unintentional. He was intentionally all those things I said loving congruence not yep. judgmental yep. for me and thinking about how does christ how does he get to know christ yep so it, it's we've been in ministry uh for a few years and uh and a lot of guys that we work with and men and women who are in uh quote-unquote non-ministry jobs, secular jobs go, man, you know, I want to be more in ministry. And us ministry guys are like, oh, we wish we had the access and the frequency of, of interaction that you've got uh, with people that aren't Jesus followers. Um, and the grass is always greener. And that's a tension that we all, you know, struggle with our whole lives. But I, as we've both been in professions that are um, non-ministry as well in our previous lives and business and and I know that's been a passion of yours of market the opportunity that people have in the marketplace and in the workplace that a lot of times the church takes for granted and diminishes the value of that. What would you say? A lot of people listening, the majority are going, "Hey, I just I go I do my cubicle job or this job, and God's not, and I wish God used me more, or I I, I could do more for God. What would you say to them? Uh, I feel I feel like you just set me up like you because we're good friends yeah. and you know me well and you know how passionate I am about this and I didn't know <laughs> to ask you this question so now I want to go on on a, a uh, I just want to uh, do a verbal dissertation for the next two hours but I won't <laughs> I'll keep it quick um, I so story first and then principle that I'm fi- I think I'm five one and one. I have talked five men and or women from leaving the marketplace to go work for the church. And this is why, and I'm not saying you should never go work for church or never do ministry. That is not what I'm saying. And, and I'll, I'll qualify that in a second. It's, um, it's because wh- why they were wanting to go work for the church or work in ministry. I don't feel like I'm having an impact for the kingdom. And I really want to be working for God. And I'm like, 
Time out. Let's unpack that. Mm. The church is not in a building. The church is scattered out there in the world. The church is a body of believers. And you are going to have more impact out there in the marketplace in your sphere of influence where you're hanging out 52.5% of your waking hours with all these people who trust you and know you who don't know Christ. And you have influence on them, not to fix them or turn them into a project, but because you're hanging out with them and they're looking at you going, there's something different about him. There's something different about her. She does her job so well and she's so composed and I feel like she's for me and I know she's a religious person, but there's something different. And you're going to have way more impact than, you know, two Christian guys with a microphone strapped to their head doing Mm -hmm. a podcast for a bunch of Christians. Now, I'm not saying we don't have impact. I mean, golly, man, you and I are all about discipling disciples, right? But as far as having impact reaching the unbelievers, it's huge. So I've talked five people out of leaving the marketplace because that's the reason they wanted to leave. One guy I didn't talk out. So this is the five one on one. This is the first one. And um, he ended up going to work for the church. And um, which is great. If you feel called to go work for the church, go work for the church. And then the the other person, I talked her into leaving the marketplace to come work because she was so good at casting vision mm. um, to um, believers in the marketplace to stay in the marketplace and be equipped and invigorated to go out there and reach their unbelieving coworkers for Christ. So uh, I'm all about working for a church. I work for a church. You work for a ministry. I'm all about that if you feel called to that. But don't do it because you think that you're not going to have impact for the kingdom out there in the world because you're going to have crazy impact, mm. crazy impact. Because you get to be Chris and we get to be Chris and I get to be Chris with these reps and these people and to and, and in a post-Christian society that we live in, the power and the faithfulness of integrity and steadfastness and pursuing excellence and loving others, not fixing, not teaching, not preaching, not judging, but just being Christ in you and out of that Loving the people around you is just amazing. And God doesn't um, need us to do that. He, We get to do that and we get to just love the people around us. And that is an incredible opportunity to be Chris uh, where, wherever we are and whatever we're doing um, and whoever God brings into our life. And that's what is required of us to love one another as Christ loved us. And that's how what discipleship is by how we love one another. So it's John 13, 34 and 35, man. I mean, you do that. You are, you are the light on the hill. Uh, and it's not a, it's not a Doug thing. It's not a Robbie thing. It's not a Chris thing. And Chris would be the first person to say, if he were here, he'd be like, it wasn't me. It was God. Yeah. But he would also, he would also say, if I could put words in his mouth, thank you, God, that you would purpose me in this way to impact your kingdom, to reach Doug, to love Doug, for Doug to take steps to get to know you. Thank you. Yep. That how, what, how, what an honor to be and a privilege to be used in that way. But he would still say, it's just him being obedient, Chris being obedient. It's just him loving God and, and being thankful to God and him being on mission for what he is directed and privileged to go and do. So what would you say to, to transition uh, for all of us listening? What's the prayer or the question we could ask the father uh, around this? Yeah, I am. Um, I, I'm, I'm shifting gears just based, you know, I love how the spirit moves us. And um, we, can I tell you what I was going to say? Uh, just because it's still really good. And then I, then I want to change it up. I was going to say, don't let theology get in the way of your ministry, hmm. which is an Andy, Andy Stanley came up with that. And, you know, most of the things that come out of my mouth have been copied by someone way smarter than me. 
Uh, and I have no shame around copying good people, smart people. But um, don't let theology get in the way of your ministry. So the three guys in the unit that were like, you need to go to church and you need to mm. not drink so much and you need to not stop uh, being that way with women. And you need, and it's like you know, that just pushed me away from being curious about Jesus. Chris did the opposite. And what Chris, what those three guys did is their theology about do this, don't do this, do this, got in the way of them really ministering to me and loving me and connecting with me and helping me be curious about taking a step. Chris didn't let theology get in the way of his ministry and he ministered to. Oh, that's good. So that was so good. So I guess a question before I get to another question, I know it's just supposed to be one, but um, is when you do interact with people and evangelize, are you coming with that approach where your theology ain't getting in the way of your ministry? Mm. Like you are for someone connecting with them, loving them, not judging them, trying to build trust, not trying to turn them into a project. And still within that, you have a hope that they're taking a step towards Christ. That is okay. Yeah. Actually, that's yeah. what we should be doing. Um, but I think the other question, I want to bring it back to, to what, what you said, Robbie, is um, know, th know that the seeds, the, the seeds that you're planting uh, know that you are planting seeds as you are in loving your coworkers or loving your neighbor or investing in them is if you are a Christ follower, what you do matters. And it's like continued drops in a bucket every day. Mm. And for me, it was four years before I finally asked Chris that question. I have a best, best, one of my best friends in my life. We've been friends for 18 years. And he just asked me the question a year ago. Mm. That was 17 years of me pouring into him. And 17 years where he sees a transformation in me. Not that I'm this great guy, but he's yeah. like, yeah, you are different. You, you look the same, the look in your eyes is the same. Your voice is the same. Your intensity is certainly the same. Um, but you are, you're just different. Like yeah. you just something different about you. And so for him, um, it took 17 years. So what's the question is, are you being intentional about reaching those around you in your sphere of influence who don't know Christ? And do you realize the value and the impact and what hangs in the balance? If you do those daily deposits, drip, 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 day after day, just to be the loving presence of Christ right there in the midst of your job or your neighborhood or on or where you're coaching the kids' soccer team, are you doing that? Not to turn anyone into a project, yep. but are you doing that? And if, if you're like me and uh, someone just came to your brain or your mind of that person that you are around, uh, that you could more intentionally love. Um, I, I think as we listen to this, uh, we can join each other in praying for that person and going, God, uh, you know who you've brought into my life around me that I have access to, uh, help me to be intentional to love them. Cause I can't on my own efforts. A lot of times you, you can, and I've got access to the spirit to be a source of love for that person when I don't feel it. And I trust you with their heart of what you want to do, uh, in and through, um, how I love them. And so prepare their heart and, and help me to, um, not take for granted the opportunity to love them that you've given me, uh, which is an awesome opportunity. So we pray that together. And Doug, this was a ton of fun having you on here. We need to, we need to do this one again. Um, but we, we will wrap up with a couple questions uh, that we like to ask everybody. And uh, one of those is, what are you reading or learning right now and in your life? And what's something that's life-giving to you? 
Mm, thanks. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on here. And, and what an, uh, such an honor, brother. Um, what am I reading right now? I'm reading um, Ruthless Trust. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is my second. I'm not a big I'm not a big re-reader re, because there's so many other books I want to read. But I'm reading this again. Um, and basically what, what the thesis of the book is uh, faith in God is having ruthless trust or ruthless or radical trust in who he is in his character and how he loves you. Um, that's, that's really what faith is. And I'm reading that because what I'm learning in my life right now is, um, and I am, <laughs> I am not in control. And you think I want to figure that out years ago. Cause I, I didn't control seven helicopters that I crashed, but, um, I am not in control and there's just a swirl of stuff going on in life for everybody, the market, coronavirus, all that yeah. stuff yeah. that's going on. And, um, it's just some other personal things and I am not in control. So I'm really just trying to grasp onto an anchor of ruthless trust. And, um, man, so that, uh, so that's, that answers that question. And then what gives me life, um, right now is, um, this is, this is the biggest blessing out of this crazy pandemic season is the family time, mm. you know, just all the perif all this busy stuff has gotten clipped from the calendar, even stuff I love. I coach the soccer teams and I love it, but that has even gotten clipped. And so we are hanging out yep. as a family crafts, art, board games, four square dodgeball, um, that's the awesome. devotionals even and that sounds like i'm super religious we, man, we've never <laughs> devotionals family until until this pandemic yep. um yeah so that is it's still life-giving to me that's awesome uh well doug it's fun as always let's hang out soon uh y'all thank you for listening to this podcast uh thanks for being a part of the true face team and the tribe uh and it's you guys um there's some of you who really it's a team uh doug i don't even know if you knew this because i had no idea about this about true face but really there's a base of people who have been impacted by the ministry that want to see it keep going um, and there's a group of people, it's not a big group that give monthly, uh, that sign up at trueface.org and give monthly. They're really, uh, as uh, this ministry is like probably 65, 70% donation driven of people like us that have supported and signed up monthly any amount that has been so integral at this ministry continuing and us being able to continue to spread the truths of the original good news to help people experience the peace and freedom of that. And uh, the ministry celebrated last week, 25 years. Wow. Uh, True Face has been around 25 years. It is a pretty humbling, honoring milestone for any uh, ministry, but it's because people like you and us have been supporting it who have been impacted. So shout out to the OGs, uh, Bill and Bruce founding it and Lynch and these guys and how God's used them. And thank for you guys being a part in uh, helping this thing continue. So and hey, who, whoever is out there giving to True Face, just I want to say thank you. I mean, thank you that uh, you've you've helped um, further the kingdom and um, just enabled us to have these resources. And um, I'm so I'm so thankful personally, and as a quote unquote professional pastor at a church, I'm grateful. So thank you for giving from the bottom of my heart. Me too. Thanks, Doug. Thanks for joining. And if you like this podcast, share it with your friend. Share it with Chris. Doug, I think he'd be encouraged. And uh, thanks, thanks for listening, y'all. See ya.